0: This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, fighting to hold politicians accountable for better health care. Find out more at carp.ca.
1: Good afternoon. Welcome to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Christine Ross for Libby's Nimer. The inflation crisis is a threat to holiday giving this year and navigating the holidays when co-parenting after divorce. But first, here are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. A diabetes drug is in short supply in the U.S. after celebrities and influencers touted its weight loss benefits. Ozempic, used to treat type 2 diabetes, was approved five years ago by the U.S. Food and Drug Administration mainly to treat diabetes, but it also showed weight loss results. Both Ozempic and Wagovi, another medication, were also approved by Health Canada. While the FDA has reported an Ozempic shortage in the U.S., there are no reported shortages in Canada. In recent months, prominent figures like Elon Musk have said they use the medication for weight loss. Speaking of Elon Musk, he is no longer the world's richest man, after a sharp drop in the value of his shares in electric car company Tesla. Forbes and Bloomberg both report that Musk has been overtaken at the top spot by Bernard Arnault, the chief executive of French multinational luxury goods group LVMH. Musk is now worth about $178 billion. Arnault has $10 billion more. More funds have been recovered for swindled victims of Bernie Madoff. It marks the 14th distribution of Madoff's Ponzi scheme and brings the total amount restored to more than $14 billion. The trustee for the liquidation of Bernie Madoff's defunct and fraudulent investment firm has been pursuing stolen customer funds since Madoff pleaded guilty in 2009 and signaled there would be additional recoveries in 2023. The trustee says this new distribution equals about 70% of each customer's allowed claim account. Madoff died last year while being housed at a federal medical center in North Carolina. He was 82. New Zealand's unique cigarette ban may be a model for other countries. Lawmakers have announced a plan to effectively end cigarette smoking in their country. The new law bans anyone born in 2009 or later from buying cigarettes for their entire lifetimes. That means it raises the minimum age to buy cigarettes every year, beginning next year. The goal is to decrease the number of New Zealanders who smoke cigarettes to just 5% of the population by 2025. Currently, 11% of the adult population smokes. Mary Ellen Withrow's signature appears on more U.S. paper currency than that of any other person. The story of the journey that carried the 92-year-old Democrat from her first school board seat in rural Ohio to county, state, and then U.S. treasurer is told in a new collection on permanent display at the Historical Society in Withrow's native Marion. She's the only person who has served as treasurer at three levels of government. Meantime, two women, Janet Yellen, the first female Treasury Secretary, and Marilyn Malerba, the first Native American to serve as a U.S. Treasurer, now have their signatures on U.S. money. The first new dollar and five-dollar notes will enter circulation next month. I'm Christine Ross, and those are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. Significantly fewer Canadians intend to give to charity this holiday season, and those who do plan to give less. Inflation, surging demand, and falling donations have combined to create a perfect storm for Canada's charities and nonprofits. A new holiday giving survey by Imagine Canada finds fewer than half of Canadian adults intend to donate, that's down from last year, and a third say they'll give less. We reached Imagine Canada's president and CEO, Bruce McDonald. What is the big takeaway from this year's holiday giving survey?
2: Well, it's uh, the big takeaway actually is that the sector is a bit nervous heading into the holiday season because we're seeing that fewer than half of Canadians are saying that they intend to donate compared to last year. And those who are intending to donate, almost 40% are saying they're going to give less.
1: So here's the big disconnect then. If you've got those numbers dropping, the need is even greater this year than before because of record inflation.
2: So- Absolutely. In fact, the need has been continuing to grow in a straight line upwards since the start of the pandemic. And then it's been put on steroids, if you will, as it relates to uh, inf- a period of prolonged inflation. And so for many charities and nonprofits, they are struggling to fulfill increased demand with fewer resources.
1: So what will the fallout be for those who millions of Canadians who, who rely on charity, not just at Christmas, but year-round?
2: Well, what we've actually been seeing since the spring is more closures of organizations. So I think there's a reality that with the ending of many of the federal support programs uh, through the pandemic, and the inability to raise funds because families are are stressed because of inflation, that some organizations are, are simply closing. What we're hoping is through this period over the holiday season, where about 40% of individual donations come in in the last eight weeks of the year, that those who are capable will dig deep and support those organizations so that important services are available in their communities.
1: Now, your survey also found that volunteerism is on the decline as well. Why is
2: that? Well, we think throughout the pandemic, there's been a few things happening with many uh, older adults acting as volunteers. Some still don't feel entirely safe going back and doing in-person volunteering. We've heard from organizations who said previous volunteers, because they couldn't come in for a long period of time, have filled their time in other ways and aren't returning. And we are also seeing a rise in informal volunteerism where people are doing good stuff, but they're not necessarily registering or doing it officially with an organization. So as a consequence, organizations who rely on volunteers to deliver their programs are seeing a a significant decline.
1: So reading this survey, it it is not all doom and gloom. Canadians, for the most part, are very charitable um, and they want more to be done, but they also like to have government involved more. How so?
2: Yes, for sure. I mean, the survey really did show that uh, Canadians value and and desire these kinds of services and hope that government are going to be able to continue to support it. And I know that, imagine Canada has a proposal in front of the federal government right now that would allow organizations the opportunity to strengthen their infrastructures, to be able to deliver programs through technology with an idea that actually doesn't cost the taxpayers any more money by simply recalculating the formula for current grants and contributions.
1: So earlier you mentioned Christmas donations and charity. You're still optimistic because we still have a little ways to go that people will dig dig deep.
2: For sure. And one of the things, you know, I've, I've been in the sector a long time, and one of the things I've seen is that we live in an incredibly generous nation. And we also seen that so many people have come into direct contact with charities and nonprofits uh, this year and since the start of the pandemic, and that those who can will dig deep and do a bit more. And those who can't uh, will maybe do a little bit, or they'll contribute their time and talent in other ways.
1: If you could look into the crystal ball, do you think this trend can reverse once uh, inflation is under control in the future?
2: Yes, for sure. I, I think it goes back to this, this generosity of spirit that we as Canadians have. We recognize that families are in stress right now. They're paying more for groceries, more for gasoline. It's leaving them with fewer dollars, but that at their, at their DNA, at their core is this idea that they can care and support their neighbors when they're able. So I do think that as we see better economic times ahead, we'll see a restoration of support for community groups.
1: Bruce McDonald, thank you so much for joining us today.
2: Thanks very much, and have a great day.
1: That was Bruce McDonald, President and CEO of Imagine Canada. I'm Christine Ross, and this is the Zoomer Week in Review. Coming up, law firms are busier than ever this Christmas as separated parents demand access to children over the holidays.
0: You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP. Fighting Against Ageism in the Workplace and the Marketplace. Find out more at carp.ca.
1: Christmas usually evokes a time of peaceful family gatherings, but for separated parents, their children, and grandparents, it can be a stressful time of year as kids are caught in the middle of access over the holidays. This year, divorced parents are speed-dialing their lawyers, demanding access to their kids over the holidays as travel plans ramp up following years of stay-at-home Christmases due to the pandemic. I reached lawyer Diana Isaac, partner at Shulman & Partners Family Law, for some tips on how to create a conflict-free Christmas and New Year's. So your firm is experiencing what you're calling an explosion of requests from separated parents asking parenting time with their kids. Is this on trend or is it higher this year?
3: We find that this year um, we are noticing a higher incidence of holiday parenting time disputes, uh, especially with uh, you know travel in the picture now.
1: Exactly. After the pandemic, now people want to get away and, and travel. So what happens then if all sides can't agree? Does it end up in court?
3: Yes, I mean, court is the last resort. So, you know, we do want people to be proactive. I think it's very important to at least budget enough time to negotiate uh, a holiday parenting schedule so that you don't end up in court.
1: So sadly, this, this brings conflict for parents, children, stepchildren and grandparents. How else can extended families best approach this kind of custody access plan you talk about?
3: important to be uh, nice and civil to one another. If, you know, conflict is heightened during this time of year, it really does take away from the momentous occasion. So I think always focus on the best interests of the child or children, you know, taking into account and in consideration their views when possible. I also think being flexible and reasonable is going to be significant in trying to broker a deal um, in order to get a parenting schedule that suits the family.
1: Have you found that the stress of the pandemic as well over the last two years maybe is also leading to this kind of increased demand for more time with the kids and and thus leading to more stress?
3: Yeah, I think that's a great question. When contextualizing where we are today, um, you know, people were unable to travel. So I think that um, for them, this is time that's lost and they want to make it up. And so I think... People are more anxious to be able to be with their children and extended families since they feel that um, they didn't have that opportunity uh, up until recently.
1: Uh, how are the grandparents impacted by all of this?
3: Yeah, I think that, you know, fundamentally, uh, from a court's perspective, we're looking at always what's in the child's best interest so the nature and strength of their relationship with the grandparent I think is is quite significant I mean in my experience um, this type of request between the grandparent and children is is not quite prevalent but there have been legislative changes in 2021 which does provide more of a framework where uh, grandparents have contact orders with children What I will say, what's more common is that more um, of the parents disputing the holiday parenting time sometimes does emanate from the fact that they want to have children or the child with them because they want to celebrate these holidays with the grandparents and extended family. So quite implicitly, it does impact grandparents when their children don't have the ability to spend time um, with with the children.
1: So tell me a little bit about how, what what should be in this kind of custody access plan.
3: I think that um, when we're talking about, you know, parenting plans, we have regular parenting time, and then what we, we have is a section called holiday parenting time. And that does consist of, you know, the winter holiday and, and these type of occasions. And so I think that we, we need to include more structured time as to what do we what are we doing for December 24th versus the 25th i find that's a real point of contention for parties some people want to be able to open up gifts in the morning and so alternating these dates which are tend to be the point of dispute would be very helpful
1: right so it's definitely tailored depending on the situation of the of the families
3: absolutely yeah i mean when we're talking about religious celebrations and um, what what the the family dynamic itself also impacts uh, what makes sense for that family and being able to tailor these parenting plans to suit what's important to them I think is 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 quite significant.
1: So of the parents who can't seem to come together and reach agreement with this written document how, how many of those cases can you estimate or guesstimate end up in court in family court?
3: They're not as significant. I think we really try our best to work together and try to to settle this because no one at the eleventh hour wants to be arguing about holiday parenting time. It's it's quite uh, it makes people quite stressed, and in this time of year, I think people really. Want to have that finality and have a determination of uh, what is what do the holidays look like? Especially, I think when you build in travel, this this type of discussion really needs to happen early on to to avoid this.
1: And the other thing too is self care not not only for the kids but for the parents and the everyone involved. Self care is is really important, especially at such a, a stressful time of year for everybody.
3: Absolutely, absolutely. I think that you know. Um, especially when you have children around, modeling that behavior and and being very optimistic, I think does have an impact. So I think it's great that um, that is considered in a lot of these situations. I would just say, you know, for for many parties who are dealing with these issues, at least consult with a lawyer in advance of the holidays. I think that will, at the very least, increase the, the prospect of settling this issue instead of inducing it to some sort of urgent or costly court appearance.
1: Uh, how late have you received requests leading up to Christmas for, for trying to finalize these plans?
3: It, it, it does vary. I think most people, um, you know, want to have these plans in place, but sometimes, you, you know, you get them in the beginning of December. Um, and sometimes people think they um, have come to a meeting of the minds and then they realize, no, we haven't finalized it. So you kind of get those situations which become sometimes urgent.
1: Some great tips for this holiday season, Diana. Thank you so much for your time.
3: It was a pleasure. Thanks for having me.
1: That was Diana Isaac of Shulman & Partners Family Law Firm. And that brings us to the end of this week's edition of the Zoomer Weekend Review. I'm Christine Ross. Thanks for joining me today. Be sure to come back next week to stay up to date with all things Zoomer worldwide.
0: We can review is produced by Ziv Huddy, Christine Ross, and Paul Thomas. Technical producer Justin Eacock. Executive producer Moses Neimer. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.